I'm Hilary Naughton. Welcome to the Uprint Podcast. It's time to remember your power and become the architect of your reality. Join me as we explore the art of intentional co-creation. We delve into the science and the magic. Hear expansive stories from entrepreneurs and creatives around the world who channeled their ideas and inspiration into real life by following their passions and staying true to their inner guidance. My intention is to empower you to act on your desires and live a life in vibrant color. Thanks for tuning in. Now we vibe. Good day. Welcome back to the show. And thank you so much for joining me. Man, has it already been a month? It has since we have had the last episode. I went from talking to you guys every week to... It's been like four or five weeks, so this is not the new norm. Don't worry. I am back into a good flow. And as I mentioned in the last episode, I had that pop-up interview series in Habitat and interviewed some super interesting people. We're going to put those on the show. And in a strange turn of events, I'm actually at Habitat right now in an office and working for a local tech startup here helping them with their sales. So I figured, you know what? My time is very tight at the moment and I need to get in where I can. So I brought my gear here to the office and in between meetings and emails, I'm just going to get through my backlog of like nine interviews (laughs) that I need to edit and mix and do intros for and all the things. So watch this space. There is a lot of content that's coming in. But um, yeah, so far, there's so much I want to talk to you guys about. I'm like, where do I start? So last month has been hectic. If you heard the last episode, I I think at that time we were on school holidays. Kids were with us all the time. And then my husband went to, it's either the Mentawis or the Mentawais. I don't know how you pronounce it. The public is split on it. No one can tell me definitively how to say it, but I think it's like a chain of islands in Indonesia. He went on a surf trip solo and I had the girls. And in that time I was doing these interviews and then I started consulting with the the tech startup in Byron. And it was just like, oh, oh and then... <laughs> We had thought we were turning some of the, well, we turned in one of the, one of the dwellings on the property into a long-term rental. And then the other one was supposed to follow suit. And then it just started getting bookings on Airbnb. And I'm like, oh Lord. And so I was just like working around the clock, feeling super spread, super thin, and really just like, oh, how am I going to keep this together? So Sean's back. All the property stuff is handled. I'm now in a good groove with this consulting job. And I'm like, you know what? I need to get this content out. Actually, I ran into a friend on Sunday and she was like, are you going to get your like life together? And didn't you do a lot of interviews in Habitat? And where are they? <laughs> and I'm like, they are on a like little smart disc. I don't know what it's called. A little smart card in my podcasting gear. And so here I am, guys. Episode one of the live from Habitat at Byron Bay is coming in, coming in now. So how did I get through? I thought about what I wanted to talk to you guys about. And I would say what helped get me through this last month of just immense stress was 
movement and still is movement. Movement as medicine. I'm sure you've heard it before, but I've gotten back into dancing and I take a hip hop class with a local woman named Mina, who is just like a total vibe. I think it's NRG dance if you're here in Byron. And then Fridays, a friend of mine, Chrissy, she started teaching something called the B class, which is, uh, if you're interested, send me a note and I can connect you with her. But those two classes have been saving my life, like dancing to like songs that you love. And then especially old school hip hop. It's like, come on, like my childhood relived and busting out all my moves. (laughs) It's like so fun and an amazing workout, like amazing. I'm always drenched in sweat when I'm done. So that really ties in with the guest that we have today. We have Wanaga. He is here in Byron Bay and someone that I've actually wanted to interview for for quite some time. He is an award-winning, globally touring, performing artist, specializing in contemporary dance, choreography, and acting. And oh, he's won all types of awards. Best male dancer in a ballet, outstanding performance by a male dancer, the list goes on. If you're from Australia and are familiar with Bangara, he was one of their dancers for a long time. And uh, we, uh, he has this... What is the best way to describe this? So I saw another girlfriend on Sunday. It's not like I was just out roaming the streets. I was at um, a Mother's Day, this local place, like a bathhouse, and there were a bunch of moms there for Mother's Day. And one of them was also said, hey, I saw you doing your podcast at Habitat. Who is the guy you were sitting with holding hands with your eyes closed? <laughs> and I was like, that had to have been Wanaka. For sure. He is, he's happily married, guys. So... Spoiler alert, sorry. He has a beautiful wife. He's got kids, all the things. He has the most beautiful energy, super present, deep, soulful. And I know that you'll be able to to feel that in his interview. We talk about the magic in movement, how everyone can dance. So even if you think you don't have moves, that doesn't matter. Everybody can dance and move. Ah, the birthright of bliss, epigenetics. And, and generational trauma and how you can heal it and so much more. We talk about so much more. And here's my disclaimer for this episode. So the way that we do this, the editing for this is typically I do the first pass. I'll go over the interview. If there are a lot of ums, ahs, or, you know, in one of my interviews, oh, I was interviewing this local woman named Lisa and my four-year-old comes running, screaming up at me and I would edit that out. Then my other daughter who's seven comes and is like, where's my backpack? Mom, 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 mom. Where's my backpack? <laughs> like I would edit that stuff out. So I do like the first pass. Then I record an intro like this, record an outro. And then I send all of that to Walker, my sound guy. And he does his magic, adjusts the levels, mixes everything together so it sounds like a professional and polished episode. Well, he works on everything all at once. So I'm sending him this intro and before I'm hearing what the editing is going to sound like with the sound in the smoothie bar for all these interviews. So, I mean, there was rain, there was laughter, there were cafe sounds, and there were blender sounds, you know, <laughs> blending rock hard, frozen, organic fruit from this gorgeous business. So watch this space. 
Uh, it's yet to be seen if we're going to do something like this again, but I also don't know what, like how it turned out. So I guess that's the magic of it. But um, thanks for, thanks for tuning back in and thanks for holding out as we, basically as I got my life together and now everything's back in a good flow and I cannot wait for you to hear this interview. So you know the drill, sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and I will catch you on the other side. So go ahead. You were telling me about Minna. Oh, actually about Opus. Opus. Okay. Yeah. yeah. My, my firstborn. And when we were about four months into the pregnancy, dear friend of mine in the company had told me she had a dream. And the dream was that we were having a son and we didn't know the sex of Opus. We we're going to leave it to be a surprise. And that his name was Opus. And we thought, that's a beautiful name. And if it if he's going to be a boy, then we're going to name him Opus. And sure enough, he came out. <laughs> and we saw his little wiener and was like, oh my gosh, there's Opus. <laughs> That's Opus's wiener. <laughs> <laughs> and so you went with the name that she that she had given him almost. I yeah. guess that was the name he wanted. Well, I feel like she, yeah, he chose her to tell. And, you know, they choose their names they ultimately. Yeah. And their parents. And us. Yeah, yes. lucky Opus. Chose you and your wife. <laughs> well, thanks for coming in today. I know this is a bit more unconventional. It's our first time doing a bit of a pop-up here in Habitat in Byron Bay. So you are our first guest, and I thank you so much for coming in. I've seen your work online, different other businesses that you've worked with, like Soma, and just my friends have taken your classes, and I've always been so moved by watching you dance and everything that you say, and it's so deep and heartfelt, so thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here on Bunjalung country right now. Yeah, um, uh, Arakul, actually, where we are right now. Blessed to be here, living Uh, here. Oh, yeah. Loving here. (laughs) Loving here, and it turns out you're another friend of the show that lives down the street from me. We had Bobby Alu on who lives just down the street from us too. You know, he lives in Newingstall as well. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's just like, that's how local it is here that everyone's just kind of like, there's just all these amazing people just roaming around. Isn't it incredible? Yeah. I still haven't met Bobby, but I've, I've seen him perform. I've been, I'm yet to actually meet him. But yeah. It, it feels like every, yeah, there's so many fun, cool, interesting, creative, um, wonderful, warm hearted people in the Shire. So many. And not enough time. Not enough time to meet them all, you mean? (laughs) Yeah, to be with them all. (laughs) Well, that was part of the reason I started this podcast. So I was like, you know, there's so many fascinating people here and someone needs to like capture this moment in time, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's so fleeting and the energies that are brought here. It's like someone needs, we need like a reminder of what was happening right now. And so, yeah. 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 So you'll have to tell us what your name means. You were telling my sister before and I'm like, we need that on the podcast. So uh, yes, your mirror image. Um, your yes. sister. <laughs> my twin. You're like, who, who is that? Is that going to be? Yeah. It's, it's weird having a twin around, but yeah. So Wanaga, how do you, Wanaga, yeah. what does that mean? Um, so my name was given to me by a lawman from Lardel. Um, is that, Lardel is a traditional name for the island, but the um, Bolander name, the Whitefather name, is Mornington Island. It's in the Gulf of Carpentaria between uh, northern Queensland and northern Territory. And I was nameless for about uh, about a month. My parents just weren't in any hurry to name me and they were sort of waiting for the name to come. And 
um, this particular man, um, his name is Ba Wu. And um, he came into the room and where I was being nursed by my mother and said, there's Wanaga. And they were like, sorry, well, excuse me. And they said, here's Wanaga. And they said, who is Wanaga? And they said, your son, he's the leader of the Pelicans. And um, they were, yeah, they were like, well, that seems like very fitting. That's our, that's our first son, our first child. And so, yeah, Wanaga means when the Pelicans fly in the V formation in the sky, um, the leader is, is Wanaga. Wow. But my namesake who named me, his name is Ba Wu, which means the one pelican flying on its own. Um, I, I will not ever be able to take that name because I am not initiate, initiated under his law. Okay. And, um, but I am the last, um, yeah, I'm the last Wanaga, the last one that was named this name. So he's the only one allowed to give that name because he's the single pelican. Yeah. Wow. And you're not allowed to pass it on. No. Wow. It's not, it's not for me to pass on, yeah. But, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's beautiful. It feels, yeah, it feels beautiful. But now, um, you know, growing up, being the only Indigenous um, person at my school, I was I copped a lot of flack from it. There's a lot of little um, words in there that people took out of construction. And, um, yeah, I, I was often the one nigger. Really? And, yeah. One, one nigger was me. And... Um, I uh, I didn't quite understand what that was until I went home and I asked my mum. I said, what, "What is one nigger? Everyone calls keeps calling me one nigger. You're the one nigger in the school." And yeah, this is far northern Queensland. And as I got older, I knew the strength of my name and um, very proud of it. Yeah, never trying to shorten it or find nicknames for my name. I, I, I some people try to call me one or Wani or Wanners, but it's yeah, I like the whole poem to be spoken. That's so beautiful. Wanaga. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you when you were growing up and your experience in far north Queensland, how like how did you grow up? What was that like? What was modeled to you on, on yeah. what you thought was possible? Because you have taken an unconventional path by a lot of yeah. a lot of traditional standards. Yes, so how did you go from Wanaga on your mom's breast getting this amazing name and then you talked a bit about the experience you had with in school with yeah. some of the kids, but what was that like? Look, I, I grew up in Jiru country. That's in far northern Queensland. So Mission Beach, it's called Mission Beach because a lot of the mob from that area around the surrounding area were brought together onto a mission and um, and then a big cyclone came and then they all moved from this mission to Palm Island. My father is of Aboriginal Torres Strait Island descent. He grew up in that area of, of country, not on his own lands, but um, close to and my mother is, as um, a surname is Ferguson, so of Scottish descent. I guess I was brought up with one foot in each world. You know, my father didn't hold on to a great deal of culture because his father left to work on the railways in Western Australia, which was quite common back in the seventies. 60s and 70s, and his mother had passed away when he was only five from from cancer, I believe. And so he didn't, yeah, so there was like six children, and yeah, they were brought up by my great-grandmother, Granny Flossie Pitt. And 
So my father didn't wasn't empowered by our culture. He was in a, brought up in a time where it was shamed, and you know, a lot of other black fellows were trying to um, pretend they were Indian or you know of some other descent just to get a foot in the door. You know, uh, it was still considered flora and fauna at this point in this country. And so yeah, my mother um, met my father when she was 19. My father was travelling down the coast. Mum said that he was quite the gentleman and just really sweet to her and, yeah, flirtatious and charming <laughs> and he's such a beautiful man. And, um, yeah, so mum had me when she was, sorry, they met when she was 18 and I was born when she was 19 in 1983. Wow. And um, Was she meant to go back to Scotland? No, sorry, she grew up in Geelong. Oh, she grew up in Geelong. Okay, so, yeah, gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, And so I grew up in, yeah, in this small coastal village, Mission Beach, predominantly white middle class. And I, my my father would fish every day. He'd go diving out on the reef, which was just off the coast of Mission Beach and always bringing back crayfish and all kinds of different seafood. My mother was essentially the breadwinner. She was, you know, working in restaurants or um, in retail. Um, and then my uh, uncle, Raymond Douglas Blanco, was associated with founding and starting the first Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander dance theatre. And what they were doing were bringing together our old ways of dancing, the traditional traditional dance and contemporary dance and fusing the old and the new and forging this new pathway and this new vessel of telling our stories. And they toured to Innisfail and I remember going and watching this performance. The performance was called Harold and it was about the first Indigenous opera singer. Harold. It's a true story. This is a true story. Okay. Yeah. There'll be nothing but true stories. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't know if Harold, the opera singer, yeah. I was like, oh, if it was, inspi- it was inspired by a true story. All right. Um, and they did this this performance and I remember just, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was seeing all Indigenous cast dancing their traditional dances, but also doing these, doing this modern form, this beautiful spice and blend of the old and the new. And I got goosebumps just talking about it because it just, it's still, it was such a potent moment. They're doing this and they're sharing it and there's white people in the audience who are listening and paying attention and... And that was it for me. That, that I, I, when I realised that this could be a way of expressing and sharing story, I, you know, yeah, I, I didn't look back, you know. And then my uncle also, you know, gave me this Michael Jackson glove. This, this like, <laughs> like a sparkly glove? Like, yeah, like a sparkly glove. <laughs> yeah. And showed me um, the film Moonwalker. <laughs> What's Moonwalker? Moonwalker is this, it's like a feature length film that Michael Jackson created which encompasses songs um, uh, like Smooth Criminal. Okay. Um, there's, yeah, all, oh yeah, some, I think it was from the Thriller era. 
pretty sure it, yeah, it was from the thriller era. Okay. And it was about these children, these homeless children who um, were from an orphanage and they were like, yeah, they were just looking for um, hope and someone to care for them and show them the way and Michael. Well, you know, it's a debatable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know he's um, he can be a bit um, a polarizing. Yeah, because you just don't know. You just don't like there. You just don't know. He had amazing music. He was an incredible dancer, and yeah. beyond that, but I, I don't know much. Yeah, I know, and he's kind of gone into the stockpile of the Bill Cosby's and the. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. Know. Um, so anyway, Michael, as millions upon millions were influenced, I was also, and I just. I just saw this magic in, in movement and that the only thing that they needed was their body to tell these stories. That was, yeah, the rawest form of expression is our, is our, is our bodies, you know, this vessel, this flesh suit, which, you know. Um, so I guess that was, that was, I was eight years old. You were eight years old. And so you've been dancing since six, then. Seven, yeah, eight years old. And I... So I was like, sign me up. I, I've, got, I've, got to, I've got to start dancing. I've got to be Michael Jackson and I would just mimic him. And so a friend of my mum's picked me up from school once with, um, so, uh, with her daughter and, and then dropped me off at this hall. And then they said, we'll pick you up in 40 minutes, you know, go and have fun. And I was like, what's happening? And then I went in there and it was all these girls in tights and um, little jazz slipper ballet shoes and... Um, and then the teacher put Michael Jackson on for me, <laughs> and I just took it away. I just, <laughs> You're like, watch uh, his moonwalk. He's uh, like killing it. I was, yeah. You were, you were prepared. I was prepared, and all the girls sat down around, and I just danced and danced and danced, and I felt so empowered and seen and um yeah, for a kid, that's I felt that really it was really important, you know. Like, you know, my parents were quite often busy being parents or adults, and you know, sometimes you just don't feel like you're being seen or heard. And this was a space that I felt like I really was empowered in, and felt strong and alive and connected. And so, I, yeah, from there, I started doing these dance classes twice a week, or once or twice a week, and that lasted about three years. Until I was about 11 and then, you know, um, yeah, I was, you know, I was teased a lot. Oh, well, because you're doing ballet and yeah. stuff, right? Not so much at my school, but where I would go and do the dance at the dance halls. I remember the boys um, coming through the, ro- the windows and throwing rocks at me. And, yeah, and I, 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 I don't really, it didn't really deter me, but I was, once I left the hall, it was kind of scary. You're like they might be chasing you, or yeah. I think uh, yeah. I got to hang out with all the like all the all the beautiful women. All the beautiful girls. <laughs> well, it probably I would think that being around women from that young of an age, like it really helps hone your craft with women. <laughs> so like <laughs> these guys are the stupid ones throwing rocks, you know, at the window. You're like, if you only knew that this is the way, man. <laughs> this is yeah. the way, the truth, and the light. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't so much about like I know. Yeah. I know you weren't trying to pull girls. No, but, yeah. but I was. I know. I was. Yeah, I was pretty open to all, and you know, and growing up in a, uh, a part of the country which is you know. Um, cane farmers and banana farmers and trade heavy, you know, and even within a 
Australian culture, it, you know, dance it was seen as, you know, um, a poofter's game, you know? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, well, and it's so funny because now that has shifted quite a bit, you yeah. know, in yeah. culture around the world that yeah. it's not seen as something that is like just for girls or for feminine men because you're obviously mm. not feminine at all. Yeah, I, 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 I think I, I feel like I, I balance both beautifully in my body like yeah. in, in my soul um, I embrace the feminine and the masculine because we're, that's what we're made up of ultimately it's just keeping that balance um, but um, yeah so I, I was I was you know I'd become to get a bit bullied around what I was doing um, and but I also enjoyed being different yeah and I I knew that feeling I was addicted to that feeling of connection to myself being able to bring joy to people you know, like I said Michael Jackson was big back in you know the 90s and and for me to be able to emulate or to draw or to drink some of the essence of what he was doing and to you know to reproduce it through my body and to bring joy to others it, it, it gave me a certain level of fame oh yeah they're <laughs> yeah. probably like oh this is Wanaga like is the he's the man thing. yeah <laughs> it's the closest thing to Michael Jackson we have in Australia yeah yeah, yeah. you know I was gonna ask you something that popped in my head and I, it was a question I've always wondered in indigenous culture um, in Australia or Torres Strait Islander I don't know is Torres Strait Islander considered it's, as part of Australia it's a part of Australian waters yeah okay yeah. so do you believe in past lives Yes. In in past lives, do you believe that they're within your mob, or that it could be in any kind of incarnation, like it, all birds, kind, yeah. all the things? Yeah, I think we go through. If, um, in Vedic tradition, we go through seven lives of um, of animal, and then seven. And if we, you know, pass the karmic tests and learn the lessons, we move into the human form, which we have seven cycles of. If we don't quite get it, then we go back into the bird or into the animal kingdom again. Uh, but uh, that's with Vedic. Is that connected at all to indigenous wisdom? I, there's a lot of similarities. Oh, really? Yeah, there's oh, a lot okay. of similarities. Yeah, yeah. Dreaming, um, bliss consciousness, the collective consciousness. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah. And my wife's a Vedic meditation teacher. So cool. Okay. Yeah. So when when the more sh wisdom she shares with me of the Vedic tradition um I, there's a lot of similarities and parallels i see with indigenous australian indigenous culture yeah uh, i was thinking when you were talking about dancing from a young age like did it feel sometimes when you're doing something that you're innately really good at or that you really love it almost feels like you're channeling something that you've already done like a did it feel like that at all there was a remember yeah a, a remembering yeah a remembering a remembrance and innately we all learn to dance before we can walk you know we you know we bop we're we, moving we bop and we move and it, it all began in the womb listening to our mother's heartbeat you know, that gentle rhythm of the mother's heartbeat and yeah i think that there's a there's a remembering and it wasn't necessarily knowing that i was good at it but just knowing how good it made me feel mm -hmm. you know that was yeah yeah that and that sparkly glove do you still have that glove somewhere? <laughs> no, <laughs> I've, I've had it recreated. Oh, you have? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, do you, like, where is it? 
<laughs> is it your house under your pillow? It, no, it's it's. <laughs> I think I got lost in uh, in the in the wardrobe back at um, Bangara. Okay, you don't like bust it out for like special occasions. No, but I want to okay. get I want to get my son and my daughter made one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like you know, sparkly glove. Everybody needs one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm curious with the with the dance and some of the things that I've seen and different friends that have done your classes. And I know you said you're not doing classes anymore. You're more just kind of being brought in as like a, a celebrity expert in dance to come in and then they create the classes for you. But um, we talked a bit about dance as a form of healing yes. for to move through trauma, to move through emotions. And can you talk, maybe there's someone that's listening to the show and and has some things that they want to work through and they haven't ever thought of using of using dance as a modality to heal of course yes yeah like what do you what what do you have to say about that or well, each each culture every culture has song and dance you know as part of ceremony and ritual and movement and dance is like the microcosm of the macro, you know, everything that goes on inside our bodies is happening on a larger scale in the universe. And I see, I feel movement uh, transcends the physical and it, it moves between the veil of the spirit and the material world and... Yeah, and it meets us here in the body. And I, you know, I originally, you know, dance was something that I felt really great about in my body, but I was also became, you know, as I moved into the professional realm, I, um, something that was for the audience, you know. And We'll take a mate break, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, um, 14 years of touring... Professional dance. Yeah, touring the world nine months of the year, eleven month contracts each year. It was, it became a bit monotonous. It became a bit exhausting, and it became destructive to my body. It was injuries and always in pain and always tired and fatigued. And I left the company three years ago after fourteen years of intense tour self-medication, yeah. And I started to wonder if I wanted to continue dance and but found myself each day moving into a a movement practice which was without any thought but simply being guided by the shape of the day, the shape, you know, the colour of the day, the smell that I was smelling, the songs that the birds were singing would all carve into me a way of moving through the day. So I I would do this small movement practices and I was suffering from a bit of post-traumatic sort of syndrome from the intensity of being in the company and... um, yeah, I decided to leave the company after my son was born. I couldn't tour. I couldn't. It tour. was just like too much to manage. Too much. And you probably wanted to be there with him. I did. Yeah. I did. And I really, you know, being an, uh, a performing artist is quite self-absorbing. And yeah, I, I, I knew that I had to 
be there for my son. And so when I decided to leave the company, I, yeah, I moved up here to Byron Bay. And that was a few years ago. That was in 2019. Oh, perfect timing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who spent the pandemic here was like, it was the best place in the world. It really was. Yeah, we were quite lucky. Yeah. Um, so I really, yeah, we, I, I made the decision to lead a more sustainable life and one which was a service to my community and to my family and sharing what I have, my gifts and my knowledge and my my dilly bag of treats. Dilly bag. I was going to say, what's a dilly bag? A dilly bag's <laughs> like a, 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 bag, a woven bag that we take with us to collect um, when we're hunting and gathering. Yeah. Oh, cool. Like in your, uh, when you were a kid, like an indigenous it's, culture it's, it's, or is yeah. it an Australian word? It's, it's an Australian word, yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay, cool. Dilly, right. Or yeah, like a PNG, Torres Strait. Um, yeah. Kulaman, have you heard of Kulaman? Kulaman is a, like a, a vessel which is carved out from wood, which you carry and collect nuts, berries, fruits. Um, yeah. Wow, cool. Thank you. You're dropping all these knowledge bombs on me today. I love it. <laughs> I'm not sure where the word exactly is from, Kulaman, but it's quite commonly used all throughout Australia. Okay, cool. Um, sorry, where were we? Yeah, you were saying that you came back and you wanted to use your gifts to really yeah. support the community. And, yeah. yeah. And so, I, yeah, I was like, I, I'm going to start doing classes up here and then I started teaching and I was and when I was teaching I was just yeah putting together my favorite songs and what was moving me and then I started teaching I wanted to approach it so that it would be accessible accessible to all my friends who always said I love to dance but I'm no good at it and I, I, I hear this all the time when I tell people that I'm a professional dancer and I was like, that's just ridiculous because everybody can dance, yeah? Like, everybody can dance. But somewhere along the line you were told you were not the right body shape or size, you know? I hear that a lot as well, which is really, like, you know, the the ballet world is very unhealthy. Yeah, yeah a lot of eating disorders and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so I started teaching these classes and I started teaching parts of what I was taught, like a quite technical you know, point flex, some some ballet technique, and then I'd throw in a bit of free dance, and and that was fun. But it was also I was starting to teach things that I wasn't necessarily I didn't necessarily enjoy being taught. Okay. And it would get you in your bit in your head and feel like a bit of a failure if you weren't getting it right. You know. Right, like the technique. The technique, and yeah. then I was, and so I, a friend offered me, um, Maylai Swan offered me to a scholarship to learn, um, to do a trauma-informed um, teaching. So uh, yoga, uh, trauma-informed yoga. And I, that was about a week of that. And that was back in 2000 and, yeah, the beginning of 2020, I think it was. And and what does that mean, is trauma-informed trauma, yoga? So trauma-informed is about... Um, having an awareness and uh, the knowledge around different types of trauma and how to approach a class that is not going to reignite any trauma in any, anybody. Okay, like in their body with certain yeah. movements? Yes, or, yeah. okay, and just the language that you use. Yeah, and yeah, I was asking, inviting people to do things if they feel safe to. Yeah. Gotcha. You know? um, so I, I, after doing this week of 
trauma-informed yoga teachings, I just had another lens on how to approach my classes. And, and I really started to think about what I want people to get from these classes. Like, yeah. And I'll, what I essentially want people to get from movement, what I get is connection. I get connection to my heart. I get out of my head and, you know, and into my heart. You know, we have over 50,000, just 50 to 80,000 thoughts a day. And 85% of those are recycled thoughts. And almost all of them are negative. And I was like, yeah, let's get out of our heads. Let's get in our bodies. Let's get present with each other. Yeah. Let's, let's feel our hearts beating in our chest. Let's feel the, the wind deep in our bellies, you know. And so I began to move in the direction of um, really getting excitable in the body, listening to my favourite songs, knowing that if I was excited, my excitement would be contagious. So I could be able to share this with whoever's in the room. And then we'd get really excitable and I would do all... I do a lot of our stuff in circle. You know. The circle okay. represents equality. And so I have everyone in the, in the space where we're all in circle. We're not, I'm not at the front of the class um, telling, giving out directions. I'm, you know, I'll put myself in the centre from time to time, but generally I'm a part of the bigger circle. And I just demonstrate a movement, a simple thing, just like shaking my hands. And then I allow people to, I invite people to, join in on that movement and do it within the temperament of where they're at, the season of their day. And then it may get a little more vigorous and it, <clears throat> I might give some cues as to what I'm feeling and where, what I'm experiencing and where I want to deepen into that process. And it was about a lot of repetition and just finding the simplicity in the movement and the joy in movement and being the loving witness to the vessel, you know, to what's happening in the body and really exploring the inner space, you know, the inner landscape. Because I see our bodies as, as landscape. We're, we, are, we, are, we are country, you know. We are the fire, we're the water, the, the wind. And um, did I miss one? The earth. No, yeah, <laughs> earth, wind, fire. Yeah. <laughs> we are. We, yeah. are we, hold, we hold all these elements in us and it's about... It was about for me igniting the, and connecting to these elements in ourselves. And then we get really excited and then I just cut the music out and ask people to stand in an unnatural stillness and just observe without controlling the breath and maybe placing a hand on the heart and checking on your pulse, checking in on humanity. And the other hand maybe on your navel and observing the breath and just coming into a stillness and noticing the magic and the chemistry of the body and and then we'd slowly come back out of that and I'd invite people to just gently maybe start walking through the parts of their feet, heel through the toe and feeling the heat shifting from the feet into and warming the floor underneath you. Just those simple things, just heel through to toe. Just walking, feeling shift of weight, noticing the breath without controlling it. Maybe your hands still in your heart and you're feeling the gentle pulsation, the volcano just gently erupting in your chest. 
and it's bringing your awareness to the smells or the taste in your mouth or the sound of other people's heels clicking in the space or the song of the birds just bringing us into the space together. And I found that I would begin to get out of my own way and out of my own head during these classes and a transmission would begin to occur where I was just, all the information and knowledge that I had received in this life and others started to speak through me. And before you know it, an hour and a half has gone by and we've all entered this portal together. And those who are in the room have entrusted me have come along for this this journey. But we've all essentially this collective consciousness where we're all the same breath, we're all the same beating heart, we're all the same soul of the foot connecting into the heart of the mother through the through the earth. And and the more I would practice this and share this, the more I realized I was connecting with my ancestors and they were directly communing with me through this through this vessel. And it was about sharing also um, my culture. You know, I, I, I learned traditional dances at a later part of my life when I was maybe 17 or 18. And it was, all this stuff was coming up through me. You know, I was able to share traditional dance without it just being on the niche side of traditional dance. It was something that we could all universally connect with, connecting with our own ancestors. And um, and that's what I really enjoy as well. Everybody that comes to my classes, ultimately bringing their mob with them, all their ancestors come and we all dance together. It sounds woohoo, but it's... No, yeah. you're in the right place. I'm yeah. like right there with you. My <laughs> eyes are closed. Like you guys can't see us at, at home if you're listening, but we're both like here with our hands on our hearts, hands on our bellies, eyes closed. And yeah. that was so beautiful. It's not woo. Like it's, yeah. it's, the, it's the true nature of our experience in our yeah. reality. And we've been programmed to believe that it's like this like woo thing, but no, it's actually the truth. Yeah. So, yeah, no, you're in the right place for all of that. <laughs> I wanted to ask you something because I know yeah. I'm conscious of time where we only have about 10 minutes left. Wow. You ha- I know, it goes by fast. <laughs> um, so you had on your stories this um, quote, and I just wanted to talk to you about the, I'll read it and then just get your, your thoughts on it. So the quote you had up on your stories today was, we are failures, grand, exciting, growing, living, failing creatures. And if we find we are not making mistakes, then perhaps it's time to try something new. And you cited Jeff Kober meditation. And I love the concept of failure. And this podcast, a lot of it is, the intention is to inspire people to act on what is inside of them to create. And part of that, you have to get past the fear of failure because... Mm. If you try, well, we've been programmed to believe that if it doesn't happen exactly a certain way, then you fail. But from my experience is that when you push past those fears and you just go for it, whatever happens is a win because you've pushed through resistance that you have for whatever reason to to show up as your yourself in more of a true expression of what you want to to show to the world. So what has been your experience with failure? And maybe why did you put that up? 
Did I, you have something that was yeah. happening? Yeah, I've had a real unraveling the last um, the last week. I've spent time up on um, up on a big hill, up on a ridge behind Malambimbi. Um, uh, I'm Narawal. I'm sorry, I'm getting this wrong. There's two different tribes areas that meet in this particular area. And I am in looking at my relationship with my children and my wife and I feel like I'm being swamped with a lot of um, uh, self-doubt and um, questioning what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, whether what I'm doing is successful to myself, my family, whether I... um, with a, yeah, I've come from such a, a place and a company and a world of success, success, you know, every year we're winning awards. We're, you know, highly acclaimed across the world and through Australia and coming into being an independent artist, um, um, yeah, um, I've been doubting those successes and the successes in my life. And <clears throat> I've... Yeah, I came to this place where I felt like I was failing my children. Like I wasn't, like I wasn't good enough. Like I wasn't <clears throat> good enough for my wife. Like I wasn't a good enough son for my for my parents. And um, I've been learning a lot from the, the stripping of the gum trees and I see these great big mother, grandmother trees and they're just constantly stripping the bark. And I see at the base of these trees this, this stripping. And that's what's been happening with me. I've just been peeling back some layers and looking into what I feel are my failures. And my wife, my beautiful wife, Caroline Blanco, has been helping me celebrate my failures and has been helping me look at my past failures, um, which I thought, you know, was my self-medicating, my, my drug addiction and my alcohol addiction and my addiction for applause <laughs> and and where that's brought me to, to, to today as a present, loving, heart-embracing father and member of this community and leader of my culture. And it's through celebrating these failures that gives me shape and reminds me of what I am to become, yeah, the ancestor I am to become. And so Jeff Koba, a beautiful teacher of the Vedic meditation tradition and also a wonderful actor. Is he Australian? He's uh, American. He's, okay. He's from Oregon. Okay, Oregon. Oregon? Yeah, yeah. Oregon? Yeah, no, Oregon. He lives in LA, but he's, um, yeah, he's a, a wonderful actor and a beautiful teacher of the Vedic tradition and I read this newsletter, this letter that he writes each day. He's actually got a podcast called Embracing Bliss, where he's put all these newsletters into a, a podcast, um, which I can share the link with you. Yeah, yeah, I'll put it in the show notes when yeah. I release and, it. Yeah, and um, through reading, you know, these these daily emails, it's just watering that garden, you know, watering that garden every day, reminding yourself, just to, yeah, reading that little bit of wisdom. You know, I meditate each day, you know, half an hour in the morning. You do Vedic meditation? Yeah. Which used to be TM, right? It, it, TM is the corporate umbrella. Yeah. Of, yeah but, um, it's the same kind of, yeah. you have a mantra. So Maharishi was, um, 
is the teacher of that. He came to and um, to the West to teach the Beatles and um, you know all these celebrities that took it on and shared it in pop popular culture. And so I got I got on that about five years ago, just before my son was born, actually. I okay, said, and it's yeah. a daily practice you do twice a day. Twice a day. How has it changed your reality? It's wow. It's I was I originally did it because I wanted to fast track my spirituality before my son was born. I wanted to sort my shit out. Yeah. <laughs> did it help? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It did. It, by bringing an awareness. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a silver bullet, but it brought me an awareness that I had never experienced. It also, you know, is the science that really drew me in. The 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 facts of how it declutters and offloads the nervous the central nervous system. And that was really exciting for me. I really was like, okay, yeah, I have all this accumulated stress through my life, you know, and I, we all do, you know, just by, you know, living in the modern world, this fast-paced world. And so meditation brought me an awareness to my life and I, yeah, and a loving awareness, you know, not an overly judgmental, critical awareness, but one that I could, yeah, I could lovingly see my life and patterns and behaviours and, Brought me, yeah, an awareness of how I could better and change these patterns to bring myself into a place of, you know, all, all we all have this birthright of bliss, you know. Um, and through the modern world, we're sort of snatched from that bliss and we're deeply conditioned. And yeah, so meditation is something that I have been really staunchly devoted to, to help water that garden of my mental health. You know, because I know how quickly it can slip away, and when you're deep in the darkness and the shadows start to roll over, it's hard to get perspective and to pull yourself out of that. So this daily practice, I have been, you know, yeah, it's twice a day, first thing in the morning, and then, you know, um, at least six hours after. So I usually do my own after lunch or <clears throat> um, before dinner, and it just, yeah, it's a very simple technique it's a mantra based technique and it's this repetition of this mantra and i you know i fell off the bandwagon once for about a week of not doing my afternoon practice and i just felt really irritable in my body i felt really irked and i just i just yeah and it was the stress <laughs> that you oh because you weren't yeah, because i wasn't offloading, off, it. Wasn't offloading it oh, yeah. and and my sleep was becoming a bit um uh, disconnected and I was waking up in the night and then I realised that I'd, yeah, I dropped off this afternoon practice so I jumped back on and, you know, it's not all it's not all gorgeous and peaceful and bliss when you're meditating. It is grinding sometimes. It is just like... I'm doing this again. Ah, just brooding. <laughs> I feel like I was just sitting there brooding sometimes and just go back to the mantra, keep it effortless. Mm-hmm. This isn't a grind. This is something you chose to do. Paid one thousand dollars to do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we have a Vedic meditation uh, teacher that's coming on next week, and so she's going to talk about Jackie. Uh, no, no, not from the Broad Place. Um, Tiffany. Okay. Tiffany Jackson. She's our neighbor in Newingsdale too. <laughs> she lives just down the road, <laughs> like everybody else in this area. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so yeah, no. So she's going to come on and chat about like what happens to your body from a physiological perspective, oh, and yeah. it's just I can't wait for your listeners to hear what she's going to yeah, say. Yeah, it'll be amazing. Uh, there's so many different 
places I want to go with the things that you said, but I'm conscious of your time and you're taking your son fishing. And oh, we've, we've got another 15 minutes. We've got like. 15. Yeah, well, I'm curious. You talked a bit about, I didn't know that I'm you... I'm sorry, there's a lot of tangents here. I'm sure oh, I love tangents. It's all oh, co- my God, yeah. And, nor- and if we were like at a dinner party and sitting next to each other, I would be like locked in on you and be like, I need to know everything. Just put your like a brain share. But I know we can't, we don't have five hours to sit and talk at this moment. Yeah. But I'm curious, you talked a bit about um, that you were, struggled through addiction with yes. alcohol. And are you pretty open about that? Yes, absolutely. I, I love to share because it was, because um, I feel like I'm not the only one. <laughs> oh no, everybody has had yeah. some kind of struggle with it for the most part. And just the conversation around it, the, the stigma around it, because I'm, I feel like... You know, for a long time, um, I, yeah, I was, I was on, like I said, I would tour nine months of the year and I was, you know, just putting my body through a lot of intensity. And I was also um, conditioned with the romanticism of the, uh, the struggling artist. Okay. You know, which is just bullshit because you don't need a struggle to put out good art. I realized. Like you needed torment yeah, in needed order to. to uh, yeah, torment. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and yeah. I, you know, I, I grew up in an era of seeing my heroes killing themselves and, you know. Dancers. No, no, sorry, no, no, like the Kurt, the Kurt Cobains and. Like, oh, gotcha. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, know, singers and singers, actors. Yeah, singers, actors, yeah. these famous poets. Yeah, there was this romanticism about, yeah, the struggle. And so I, you know, I bought into that. But I also was, there was some unresolved, you know, I wasn't. Allowing myself to feel, and you know, got to feel it to heal it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Put on a t-shirt. Yeah, it's true. Well, and how did? What tools did you use to get out of it? Meditation. Oh, that was it. Meditation that brought me in awareness. Yeah. So when you're, so let's say, let's go back to when you first started meditating. Yeah, and 2017 was yeah. 2017. Uh, yeah, it was March 2017. Okay, and then and that was the and what kind of things were coming up that you, that then helped you like in terms of like thoughts that were coming up and then you, how did you flip it? Well, I, it was about nine months I was meditating. I was still doing, um, my weekend would start on a Thursday and go through to a Monday. And that was just, you know, it started just with gentle, like just, you know, after work going for some drinks and then, drinks would turn into calling up our guy who would come and deliver to us and it was cocaine mm-hmm. it was the main is the the performer's choice of drug usually well which is probably spends your whole paycheck people don't know in australia drugs are very expensive yes yeah because they're hard to get yeah yeah, yeah. okay so it's there, expensive it's probably three four times the amount that you'd pay in the u.s yeah, yeah. um and not very good quality either no but it kept me awake kept me chatty kept me confident in you know, it kept me talking about myself and my friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> about how good we were, but uh, you know, it was nine months into it, and my my wife was yeah, her belly was swelling, she was pregnant, and I was sort of burning the candle. But I was still really staunch with my meditation practice. Even if I'd had a big night out, I'd come home and I'd have a small rest, and then I'd do my morning practice. And I felt oh, cool. Yeah, a bit of bit of good, bit of bad. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, and then it wasn't until my son was born in August 2017 and I continued to party hard, but I wasn't going out to party. I was partying at home. I was staying up late and I was folding. I was doing washing and I was cleaning and I was... Like getting stuff done. I was getting stuff done to 
you know, to see him appear like I was functioning. You know, I was very functioning. And, um, yeah, and then about three months after my son was born, I was given the ultimatum by my wife to, she really wanted to support me into recovery without telling me what to do, but she was like, this is, this is a cycle in your family and it's up to you if you want to continue this or you want to pass it on to our son. And I, yeah, I was sent away for a few weeks for, by my work and they paid for me to, to clear up and um, I did. Wow. Because I wanted to. Yeah, really, you were ready. I really wanted to. And people weren't so much saying you have to, which was really helpful because if people were saying you had to, I, a childish part of me would have, you know, said, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Um, so my beautiful wife using the loving and fighting language, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I was also, yeah, I was also becoming aware of the pattern and the cycle and, and so many, um, so much trauma in Indigenous families. Um, through colonialism and I was carrying these epigenetics in my body and all these traumas of my ancestors in my body and I felt that I could do the healing if I really allow myself to feel it. Yes. And just talking about it now, you know, like, yeah, you know, I, I love, yeah, I love what I do as a performing artist because I now with this healing, you know, healed people, heal people, you know. But I'd come from a company where hurt people hurt people and my uncle, Stephen Page, the then artistic director of Bangara, was a very, very, and still is a very pained and hurt man. There's a documentary called Firestarter about Bangara. Okay. Which I, you can watch if you like. I'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. and it's about him. It's about the company Bangara and him, right. and he's actually he's a blood relative, and and he's still alive. He's still alive, and he's the art. He was the artistic director. His brother David Page was the musical director, so he would compose all the music for the shows. And the younger brother Russell Page was the dancer, the muse of movement. And so in two thousand and Three or 2004, uh, Uncle Russell uh, finished doing a show with Bangara and they all had a big night and they all got on the drinks and the drugs and um, Russell really wanted to do some other things with his life. He wanted to leave the company after being there for quite a while and Stephen was not happy about that and... There was a lot of hurt in Russell and he was feeling a lot of torment and feeling stuck and obliged to be in the company and took his life. This is his, his third attempt. He took his, his own life or he killed his brother? No, he took his own life. Stephen, oh. um, David, oh, sorry, Russell. Russell was the muse. Russell hung himself um, at, a, yeah, at a park, a children's playground. And, yeah... And then um, that was a huge blow to the community. Um, and then 2016, um, Uncle David, the music composer, also did the same, took his life, went down to the park, did his belt and 
hung himself on the monkey bars. Um, this was about a year after his niece, which was Uncle Russell's daughter, had done the same thing. So there's three of them that have hung themselves at this park? Not the same park. But, but just different yeah. children's parks. Yeah, and so this is quite a pattern. And it was almost like the, yeah, it just became... Yeah, and so I saw myself also through my addiction life. So I was like, okay, well, looks like I'm going to... You're on that path. I'm on that path. And if I don't clean up and get out of this company, I'll be next. Yeah. Wow. And so, yeah, um, yeah, I made the decision to really like that, you know, I saw this pattern and I saw the destructive nature and the lack of support for mental health in, in the performing arts. So, yeah, it was like, yeah. You felt that deep. Yeah, well, I'm not just doing it for myself. I'm doing it for all those to come. And I'm also doing it for my father, you know, through my healing. I've watched my father. Is there. It's, it's something to do with those epigenetics. When I do the healing, there's a part of him that becomes healed. Oh, you know, I just got goosebumps. It goose sort of, yeah. yeah, we're all well, we're all connected. All connected. Yeah, there's um a few episodes back. So my twin that you met, she can connect with people's spirit guides that are around them, and um, she did a reading on the show because I had some questions for the other side. I'm like, I need help with this with this stuff that was happening in my family, and she talked about this healing that was happening with within my family. This was a few months ago, and. And they showed her when we do the healing on ourselves, how it's like your whole lineage steps forward and it's like a glowing light that you're glowing and then you all come together and like hold hands and then it just lights everybody up down the row back. You know, it's not just your your offspring that comes next. It's the people that came before you. Yes. And it's such a powerful concept that when we heal, we heal our whole lineage. Yes. And so it's that's the work I think that we're being called to do now is and why it's such a big part of the collective consciousness now, all about healing and how to do that. And mm-hmm. part of the reason I wanted you on was to talk about the healing through dance and through movement yeah. because we need all these different tools in order to heal ourselves, which heals everyone yes. around us. So. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing and for coming on today. It's a pleasure and it's an honor to share my story. It really is because, yeah, yeah, I know I'm not the only one in this, in this you know, we all, it's just something that needs to be spoken about more. Yeah. yeah. And I'm starting to run with some other brothers, men's groups where we, we get together and we gather and we make fire the old way and we sit in circle and we sit in council and we hear each other like we're going to save each other's lives just by listening because it does. And is that only for Indigenous men or is that for anybody? No, it's for all the brothers. Oh, cool. Yeah. I need to get my husband in on that. I think he'd like that. He's like, where are all the men at? I'm like, we'll find them. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sh- It's pretty Shakti heavy here, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. But like he's looking for like a space to, I think, bro out a little bit with yeah. like, you know, in a space like that. So how do you, how do people find out about what you're up to? I know now you're kind of just yeah. floating through. I'm floating through. You're floating, yeah, but like you how to... Catch my name on the breeze. <laughs> yes. I... Um, I have an Instagram. I'm not social um, social media like active, but I, I I am on there doing. I promote whatever's happening on my Instagram. Okay, I'll link that. Wanaga, you'll never be able to to <laughs> just and it has all the underscores and who did that color in the circle? It's such like a perfect red orange, you know, like uh, on your. Do you yes. know what that's from? Ah, uh, yes, that is from an a sun. Where did I get that from? It was from a sun. Um, an image of a sun somewhere. Ah, it was so good. I was like, that's like the perfect color. 
Yeah. yeah. It was like a, 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 just a, blitter, bliss, a close-up of the blistering sun. And yeah, it's always some sort of shade of red. Red's my colour of passion. Cool. Blood. <laughs> <laughs> well, we always end the show in the same way. Um, if you were to send like a message back to yourself at any age, what message would you send and how old would you be? Any age. You're in the right place, doing the right thing. You are exactly where you're meant to be. Don't question it. Oh. And try to breathe into your stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Not in your chest. Not into your chest. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for joining me today. My intention is always that you leave feeling inspired in some way, in a better mood. You have that bit of courage to to take action on whatever it is that you're wanting to create right now. That idea that's been brewing in the back of your mind for the last six months or six years. It's all about just taking little steps each day. So hopefully this gave you a bit of motivation to do that. If you enjoyed the episode and want to stay up to date with the happenings of the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple. We're also on iHeartRadio now. And you can also leave us a review in your app. It's a great way to show your support for the show. And as always, have a beautiful day and until next week.